Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I am Jed Sprague here with my co-host Evan Fagundis. Hey guys. And JT Chipman. What's going on everyone? What is going on this week? We are discussing one of the most handsome men in Hollywood, Jake Gyllenhaal. But first and foremost, how are we doing? I'm doing good, you know, uh, just trying to survive the winter months. You know, it's always that little little bit of a slog in January, February to get through the cold. But I had uh, I had a uh, handsome man to keep me company in these past couple of weeks by the name of Jake Gyllenhaal. So, Evan, I, I agree. I'm feeling well, too. And lots of that has to do with uh, the good looks of Jake Gyllenhaal and the charisma that he brings to the screen. We watched a lot of Gyllenhaal. But also, it's it's weird. It felt like January kind of flew by, and we actually, um, you know, recorded a couple weeks ago and stuff. And it just feels like I can't believe it's already to the end of January. We're we're one month one month into the year. Um, had a couple good episodes already, and yeah, I'm just really excited to record this one. Oh, I love it. We've said it from the beginning. 2021 is the year of flicking and screaming, and I feel like we're off to a hot start. We got a lot mm. of good stuff. Um, we are prepared people. We have put together a schedule. We're not just flying by night anymore. We're real podcast people. Uh, so we're super excited. But back to Jake Gyllenhaal. Who is Jake Gyllenhaal? In the landscape of Hollywood, right? I always open with like, what do you think of when you think of Jake Gyllenhaal? But that doesn't feel like an appropriate question when it comes to this man. Evan, who is Jake Gyllenhaal? Like, what's, what's he about? I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a movie star and he's a movie star that with us all being in a similar age, kind of getting into our mid twenties, he's a movie star that we kind of grew up with. He was really becoming a big star at the same time that we were growing up, you know, middle school, getting into high school. And then now still, uh, you know, 20 years later, he is kind of nearing the the latter stages of just being one of those super famous people who pops up in a movie uh, once a year, once every couple of years. So I think first and foremost, he's just a movie star and he's a weirdo, which I think matches up with what we kind of look for in our movie stars. Good looks, charisma, and a little bit of that off-the-wall energy that, that kind of keeps you on your toes and makes it exciting to watch eight straight movies. Chips and I, Chip and I were just talking about how different lots of these movies are and and what different energy Gyllenhaal brings to each of those movies. And I think that's a real uh, defining characteristic of the Jake Gyllenhaal experience. Um, and I definitely want to toss it over to Chip because I know he's a huge Gyllenhaal guy. Love me some Jakey G. He's uh, the word that came to my mind was just maniac. One of the biggest maniacs uh, in all of Hollywood. And I'm thankful every day we have someone with his personality and his acting caliber continuing to churn out content for us there's a there's a quote from the film okja the wonderful bong jun ho film uh that that he directed and jake's is plays a character named uh dr johnny wiseman i think and he is delivering this rambunctious speech to a, a adoring crowd and he says everybody knows dr johnny can't stand anything boring have i ever <laughs> given you a boring show and that line, it's so clearly written and delivered with Hall's career in mind. He has one of the best track runs I've ever seen for from the last 20 years, and everything is so different. There might be like somewhat similar performances, but all of them are going to be slightly nuanced and slightly catered to a different facet of his like constantly changing actor brain. 
I mean, just look at like the time he was 20 years old. He gave us fucking Donnie Darko. He was 20 and he just hasn't let a, the, the, the foot off the pedal. Like his batting average is insane, but his slugging percentage is even higher. Right. So he's in mm. his great projects, but he is going to always go balls to the wall, even if the rest of the film can't quite hang. Yeah, I, I love that take. I do think like the the weirdness factor really like stands out um, to me almost like and you could I don't know him and like Tom Hardy are kind of like in this category all their own, like handsome men that I don't know if Joan Hall rejects his handsomeness as much as Tom Hardy does, but he rejects his idea like this ideal of like, I'm going to be this normal, handsome dude. Um, you know, like I feel like Joan Hall and Gosling are like they could be the same. Uh, they always get compared, right? But Joan Hall is just like so much more out there and weird than the stuff that Gosling does. Uh, I don't know. I just love it. Like, there's so much variety. Like, I understood what you guys were saying. It does get a little bogged down sometimes. We do these episodes. We're watching a ton of same actor movies, right? I felt none of that fatigue with him. I mean, it was wild. Like, the different vibes you get. I think the only fatigue I got is just like how intense a lot of his movies are. I think if there's one theme, especially like, um, you know, lately, it's been a lot of intensity. Uh, but yeah, I, I love him. I love him. You know, I just want to go on record as saying. One, he's a phenomenal actor, but he has another special place in history. Do You guys know what that is? I know where you're going with this, and I'm going to let you I'm going to let you take it there because this is your wheelhouse. He's the only person to ever be scorned by both Taylor Swift and David Fincher, which I think, you know, is something that like is worth talking about. Wow. Like that's a category. Yeah. And I mean, and uh, if you guys were on Twitter earlier before we recorded this pod, you'll know that, you know, their relationship led to one of the great American songs, All Too Well by Taylor Swift. If you ever want to cry by yourself in a car, turn on All Too Well, just turn it up to 11. And sob your little heart out. I didn't. I learned that this past week that Jake Gyllenhaal has his own entry on the official Taylor Swift Wikipedia page. Like not like <laughs> Wikipedia's page of Taylor Swift, like the Taylor Swift Wikipedia, and it's an entirely uh, separate entity. Oh, like and, a Taylorpedia. And, exactly. Exactly. Wow. And, <laughs> and Gyllenhaal has his own entry, and uh, they, the fans have some thoughts. They they have hmm. some thoughts and takes. Even ten years. After uh, that great that uh, that great album, Red, it's a great album. Uh, there's a lot of takes on Gyllenhaal's role in her mm. life. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely her most like. This isn't a Taylor Swift podcast, but definitely her most like searing song. Like she was fucking getting on him, uh, letting the people know. So, which it's it doesn't really, shock it, me though. It's really between Gyllenhaal and Kanye West. Those are Taylor Swift's uh, two sworn enemies. So that's, yeah, that's, some, exactly. that's some crazy company to be in, I suppose. It really Good. is. Honestly, two two major weirdos. Hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, we, yeah. you know, we are drawing drawing connections here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, do you guys have Do you guys have anything like that you want to get out about Gyllenhaal before we get yeah, to our top fives? I have Evan. one more thing, and I'm glad you brought up the whole Taylor Swift thing, and because that's a big part of that era that's a big part of being an early 2000s mid 2000s star right is really getting that people treatment really getting that star treatment dating uh, taylor swift it's a huge part dating of being a taylor 2000s swift, star yeah yeah get in line like become you know the focal point of a song 
Um, and that leads into my next point, which is that um, Jake Gyllenhaal was so perfect for the late 90s, 2000s period uh, as a leading man. And kind of what I mean by that is like Hollywood was moving out of that charismatic, coolest guy in the room type leading mm. man and leading into this like obviously still beautiful, still charismatic, but like angsty, uh, anxiety ridden, almost like nervous, twitchy leading man. And that kind of benefited itself. Like even Brad Pitt kind of did it to an extent with mm. lots of the weird comedy that type stuff that he did. Um, you know, assassination of, of um, Jesse James is very similar in that it's like, Yes, it's a leading man role, but it's weird. And now I'm talking about Brad Pitt. But Jake Gyllenhaal did the same thing when you look at, uh, you know, Donnie Darko and Zodiac and even like Brokeback Mountain and Jarhead and stuff like it's just not a traditional leading man. But it's so perfect for the time period, because coming out of, you know, the early 2000s and we could say 9-11 or whatever, you know, the Bush years, so many of those movies were like anxiety uh, induced like weird off the wall movies and he just fit it so perfectly it's like he couldn't have come across at, at a better time i'm gonna get like meta here about this podcast but you you guys you know you you compliment me on my lines and evan just threw in the whole get in line jab at taylor swift which is one of the funniest things i think i've heard in the last two weeks. no he so evan you, i i learned from you chip, guys. chip's got the like yeah chip you have like the insightful one-liners but evan just fucking drops heaters on people he told <laughs> he told my man to put down the pen one of the greatest <laughs> moments and flicking and screaming 20 minutes just put the fucking pen down evan evan like comes in he's like a middle he's like he's like a late you know setup man who can yeah. throw like 102 miles an hour you know yeah but you yeah. don't know where it's going you can't put him in in the ninth get him in there <laughs> in the seventh and eighth <laughs> yeah, amazing exactly a lot, a lot of baseball, a lot of baseball analogies on this pod today. I know I'm baseball starved. Um, I think that my final thought is just that I love that that you know he's Gyllenhaal has the mania, he has the artistic mind, but he can also zero in and just find good projects and find good directors to work with. I mean, Ang Lee, Fincher, Denis Villeneuve, Bong Joon Ho, Antoine Fuqua, fucking Tom Ford, like. Yeah. That is, you know, it's entirely men that I've just mentioned, which is one thing, but it's still a diverse range of styles and, and cinematic excellence that he has chosen to work through and maybe kind of put himself through, subject himself a little bit under their uh, uh, particular range. Yeah, I think that's a that's an incredible, I think, compliment, you know, to him and like his the range that he does have. Um, but I think it's a it's a nice observation. All right. Are we good? Are we ready for top five? Let's, Let's do, do it. it. I kind of want to start. I want to start uh, yeah. because, you know, you guys are going to laugh at my number five. I just know. Um, I would literally, <laughs> I would, I wouldn't, I would be so shocked if this was on either of your lists. Uh, my number five is love and other drugs. <laughs> Chip, I, exactly, I was going to pay out $100 to either of you if it wasn't that after that intro. I knew for a fact <laughs> that's the pick, but hell yeah, number five. This is why we love Chip. So, <laughs> so this is what's great about this movie is I compared him to Tom Hardy. Um, and this is, you know, this means war is Tom Hardy's one rom-com where he plays the handsome guy. This is Hall's rom-com where he plays the handsome guy. And I 
like eat up every single minute of it. I actually think there's like somewhat of a good story here. Um, you know, it's kind of late. It's a 2010 movie, um, you know, starring him and Anne Hathaway, directed by Edward uh, Zwick. And basically he plays like a, a, a pharma salesman that uh, falls in love with Anne Hathaway's character, who's like a this eclectic young woman, but she has Parkinson's. And then it's both of them kind of reckoning with the fact that they're falling in love while she's got this like terrible disease. Um, one of the reasons this movie is so successful, I think it's because it's set in the 90s. Uh, you know, it's not in the golden era of rom-coms, but it's set in the golden era of rom-coms, which incredible. Uh, but no, it, it actually has like a really sweet note to it. Um, it's hopeful, but it's sad. It kind of like asks questions about love. Uh, this was not one I was anticipating to put on. I was ready to have a really hardcore list, but I just had a great time watching this movie upon rewatch and had to sneak it into my top five. It's very on brand for me, but yeah, love and other drugs. Number five. This movie's <laughs> kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's super fucked up, but I'm like, it's really, I guess it makes sense. Why shout out to big pharma. He shout out to Big Pharma. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jed of course. Craig and Ted Cruz, the only two guys ever who have said shout out to Big Pharma. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I said it a little bit, a little bit more facetiously. Yeah. But I, I, I do agree. I think that's why he chose it is because he could see like this like fucked up angle of yeah. it. Um, but you know, he does play it pretty straight and handsome, which I, I appreciate. And to be honest, like say what you want about this. Anne Hathaway got nominated for a Golden Globe for this movie. Like, she, she's fucking actually spectacular, I think, in this movie. Yeah. Plus, it has a special place in my heart. I was, it was 2010. I was a freshman in high school, and Anne Hathaway went nude. She went topless for this movie, and, and I heard that and immediately had to see it. Unreal. You are, okay. you are a singular man, Jed, and I love you for it. <laughs> <laughs> so like, right, Anne, like Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway, and Jake Gyllenhaal in 2010. Like, it's hard to find like just more attractive people in general. So, like, exactly. Yeah, this is a tent. Like, you know? And they were both like super duper stars at that time. Yeah, this yeah. was a huge. This was like a huge movie. Let me let me see how much it did at the at the box office. And Ed Zwick yeah. is like he's made a ton of good profitable movies. He made yeah. Blood Diamond? Did he, did he do Blood Diamond? I was just looking at my Letterboxd account. Yeah, he did Blood Diamond. <laughs> he did the fucking Last Samurai Tom Cruise movie. What a weirdo. <laughs> what a what, what an eclectic group of movies. But, alright, that was my number five, Love and Other Drugs. We don't need to talk about it okay. too much more. Hell yeah. Chip, Chip, let's go. So, my number five, I kind of surprised myself with where this landed on my list, but I'm, my number five is Nightcrawler. Higher. Um, I got that higher, too. I had a feeling. I had a feeling. Uh, so we can we can move on and return to Los Angeles sooner. Okay. So my no- wow, I, I'm kind of shocked about that chip. I just got to say, I'm shocked yeah, yeah I'm shocked too. Nightcrawler. I, I have to say, I surprised myself with Nightcrawler a little bit too. But I'm surprised. I was I was almost thinking that might be number one for you. Yeah, I. That's where I was headed. The, it, it, it's the battle of the bastards when somebody starts coming at Nightcrawler uh, with Chip. But um, so my number five is is Okja. Nice. Okay. Nice. Not on my list. So this is 2017. Chip mentioned it earlier. Uh, written and directed by Bong Joon Ho, and it's the story. God, it's a very complicated story. But it's this uh, big um, uh, conglomerate essentially creates these super pigs um, in a lab, 
and then passes those pigs out to small farmers, and those farmers raise these super pigs that are literally like massive rhinoceros-sized pigs um, to create more sausages essentially like they they don't get into it a ton but it's basically just like creating more food um to be able to to send out and jake gyllenhaal plays the most unhinged um like crocodile dundee sort of motherfucker that you've ever (laughs) seen in your life uh he's wearing the shortest shorts ever he's pretty much sweaty the entire movie every scene that he's in um and there's a couple things that i love about this performance one like Chip said earlier, I think this performance is incredibly meta because lots of what we think about Jake Gyllenhaal is that he's trying really hard to be anxious and serious and weird. And in this movie, it seems like he's trying the hardest he's ever tried, and it's to be like somewhat funny, but still anxious and weird. So it's a really instead of being serious and anxious and weird, he's he's kind of being funny. Um, and he just has a couple of scenes that are just knock me to the floor. The last time that I saw this movie, uh, the main one being when they get to like the animal torture place, uh, and he basically is in a room alone and Bong Joon-ho, who's one of, uh, my favorite directors clearly was like, this is Jake Gyllenhaal's five minutes to just do whatever the fuck he wants. And Jake Gyllenhaal does not waste time at all. He goes absolutely bonkers and is losing his mind. And it's unclear whether he's on drugs or just insane. Um, but I just love how different this movie is than all his other movies. So I've talked about it a little bit too much, but this is a great movie. I, I love it. Yeah. And he is a, a highlight. This was an honorable for me. So I love this. I love this pick. Um, honorable honorable for me as well i just so the name that came to mind with his performance was like an alcoholic dr doofenshmirtz yes <laughs> yes 100%. there's a couple of times where his voice kind of gets up there and you can just hear him say perry the platypus basically um, yeah i also think he kind of has a sexual relationship with a pig and that's a little mm. bit like he wants he, he's, he's like weirdly horny around the pig yeah and just around the people in general but it's a fantastic performance you're right yeah, this was the first Bong Joon Ho movie I ever saw. What an introduction! Yeah, it was wild. I think that's true for a lot of people because it was put straight on Netflix. I've heard other people say that. Yeah, um, God, he's he's so good. All right, great pick. Uh, all right, my number now on to number four. My number four uh, is 2013. It's Prisoners. Ooh, higher. Also, my number four. Nice, wow. Chip. So, Take it away, wait, so, you well, wordsmith. So, wait, so it's a little bit higher for me. Um, yeah, well, oh, sorry, Evan. I, I apologize. But, right. I mean, we can do it now and just because it's only. Yeah, yeah. Let's just do it now. Okay, yeah, let's do it now. It's number three for me. Nice. Um, okay. So, so it's number three. It's four for both of you guys. So, yeah, Jed, go ahead and lead it off. No, Chip, go t- take it, my friend. Yeah. Uh, looking back, maybe I should have switched to Nightcrawler. I'm kind of regretting it, but fuck it, too late. Um, so like, I kind of have to caveat. I forced myself to only pick one Villeneuve film, um, and I just mm. I picked Prisoners. I might like Enemy more, but I've talked about Enemy on this podcast before, and I want it to be different and interesting. So I picked Prisoners. Um, so Jake Gyllenhaal is Detective Loki, which is an insane uh, character name. He is working to find the missing and presumed kidnapped children of Hugh Jackman and Terrence Howard uh, separately, not together. Uh, and holy shit, does this one get dark, guys? I mean, 
Rod, so Roger Deakins is the does the cinematography for this one. And he just bodies the like nastiness and anger that is running through every single character. Like, I know I think Deakins, I think Cohen's, I think Western Vistas, and he's great at that. But until you see him focus on Paul Dano getting beaten to a fucking tomato, like you haven't seen Roger Deakins and like what he can do. And I love Gyllenhaal's character because he's he's so full of this righteous anger. You know, like he has he has his own code, like in his fiber of his being, his own standard of justice. And it reminded me a little bit of Omar Little and watching the the wire, rewatching the wire lately. You know, his famous line, a man must have a code. And as the movie builds, you see how Loki's code kind of faces off with Hugh Jackman, who has really lost all semblance of any moral code that he had before. So they both kind of have to come to a compromise and come to a clash with each other. Um, a lot of my favorite Gyllenhaal roles, he is a man in a system, but he is the outlier in that system, or mm. he rebels and rejects against that system. I think he really thrives in that. I think he thrives in that in his real life and also in his uh, in his acting catalog. So my number four it is Prisoners for that reason. Awesome. Great pick. Yeah, I had this at number four, too. Uh, I know this is a Gyllenhaal pod, but Hugh Jackman is just wilding out in this movie. He's... So intense. Uh, and I absolutely love this performance. Denny Villeneuve, I mean, yeah, what can you say? I don't, it's hard. Like when we make these lists, we've talked about like, is it about your favorite movies or your favorite performances by the person? I think this one for me, like I think Hall's performance is, is really good. Um, but it's not hot. It's not like, my top five favorite Gyllenhaal performance, but it's definitely one like top five has to be one of my favorite movies that he's been in. So I, I just, I like as a whole movie, like it's really dark. Uh, it's got like, I don't know. It's just got like an atmosphere to it. Like from like everything, like the colors, the music, everything's just kind of like exactly where it's supposed to be, which I think is a theme of Danny Villeneuve movies, right? Like everything is perfectly suited to what the theme of the movie is. Um, yeah, so I, I I love it. So I had this at number three. And honestly, if I didn't love the top two performances so much, this was actually going to shoot its way up. I didn't even think this was going to be on my top five going into our rewatch, but I was blown away the last time I watched this movie by Hall specifically. Hmm. And I think it's good when we disagree a little bit every once in a while on this, on this pod. And it's not that I'm fully disagreeing, but I'm not convinced this movie is like, actually awesome i i think it's good i, I really feel the middle drags a lot um in mm. different way i think they're just the script a little bit and i actually <laughs> um hugh jackman is definitely going for it i'll give him that but i'm not Does, sure at all that it doesn't good. work for you like not really like uh -huh. I, on on my last rewatch i was watching and i was just like wow i do not think this guy's very good <laughs> oh and, i actually i actually love it for some reason really yeah, I can understand I mean, where you're coming from, like, but he's he's going for it so hard. But like, maybe it was just on this rewatch. I was bought in. I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Like, definitely going for it so hard. And yeah. I don't know if maybe that part of it is colored by the fact that I really do feel the middle of the movie gets a little bit fat, and lots of that is Hugh Jackman stuff. Um, so it could work against him just in my mind. I don't know. But on latest rewatch, I was just like, "This movie is pretty solid." I think. But Jake Gyllenhaal makes this movie really fucking good. Um, and part of what he does is, first of all, this is my favorite. And I know Nightcrawler gets all the gets all the gas for it. But this is my favorite eye reaction Jake Gyllenhaal is in this movie because he is reacting to Hugh Jackman 
literally screaming like a like little league baseball dad the entire movie and Hall's reactions to him are my favorite part of the movie um and then the last thing is just the way he oscillates like chip you were saying jed you were saying he has kind of this code and the whole movie is flowing off of Hall's investigation um so i love that transition at the beginning of the movie when he's interrogating paul dano um leading into almost the very next scene is him having the first conversation with Hugh Jackman where he goes from the aggressor to the one who has to be kind of the calming presence in the span of you know two scenes um and it kind of sets the tone for the movie like how I'm gonna feel about this movie is about how Jake Gyllenhaal is gonna make me feel and everyone working off of him so I love this performance I'm so glad you mentioned the eyes because that is the most underrated and my favorite part of Jake Gyllenhaal's acting caliber. He can literally flex his eyeballs. I, I don't know anatomy. I don't know like what your muscles and bone structure is really like around yeah. your eyes. But he can do so much to the point where it seems like his eyes are going to pop out of his head. It seems yeah. like they're inches protruding you know, from his actual skull structure. And he, he, he uses that. He weaponizes that in, in specifically in Prisoners and in Nightcrawler. You can even see it memed a little bit. Uh, in, in Nightcrawler, and it's such uh, a, a unique and different thing that I don't know that any other actor can really bring. 100%. I can totally see why, just with the looks that he gives, why he's constantly just shitting on his police captain in this movie, and his police captain, like, never says anything back. He's just like, okay. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal is just <laughs> shitting on him, and the captain just like, "All right, see you tomorrow." You know, Detective Loki with your with your neck tattoo, inexplicable neck tattoo. Also, by the way, speaking of Jake Gyllenhaal's weirdness, it never is explained. Not really a part of his character, but he has a sick neck tattoo. So, I like to think the neck tattoo goes down his arm, and it's like a whole tribal thing. Ooh. Yeah, I was gonna say, or it just connects to his back, and it's like Ben Affleck's back tattoo. <laughs> Shout out to Ben. <laughs> shout out to he's, Ben. He's going it. through it. Perpetually, but... sh- perpetually shout out to Ben. <laughs> honestly, continuous shout out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that was prisoners. That was my number four. Chips number four. Your number three. So Evan, what's your number four? So my number four is Nightcrawler. A little higher. Higher. Okay. Hi- higher for me. Okay, Jed, you're up. All right. Uh, so on to my number three. So this is kind of where. I think I start to skew more into like my favorite performances from Hall rather than like my favorite movies. Um, Cause my number three is Zodiac. And I know we've talked about it a lot and like, I thought about not putting it on here, but fuck it's so good. Yeah. And I'm sure you guys are like mad because you're like, I wish I would have put that on there if we hadn't talked about it so much, but I feel like you got to talk about Zodiac. It's, my, talk- it's also my number three. It's Oh, yeah, it's lovely. my number three. So, Oh, look at me and Chip, a little simpatico. You should have had uh, Love and Other Drugs at number five, Chip. That would have really thrown the people for a loop. <laughs> yeah, how'd you miss that one, Chip? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we've talked about a ton. Uh, David Fincher, you know, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, among many others. You know, the story of uh, the Zodiac Killer in, uh, in and around the Bay Area, San Francisco in the 60s and 70s. And this is like my first it's not the first John Hall movie I, I seen I had ever seen but this is my first like movie that I like remember him and being like this guy is like different right this is before I was like thinking about movies this way I watched this movie and this whole movie is essentially just the, his character you know Robert Graysmith 
losing his mind over the and you know his family and his livelihood over this obsession uh, of trying to to figure out who the Zodiac killer is. And I don't know if there's another person that could have done this role. We we talked about our favorite performances from it, um, you know, when we did, um, you know, the Fincher podcast. But you know, there's something about the eye acting, just like the way he can make you he with his eyes can tell you that like there's something dark going on behind his eyes. Like there's this like true madness. Um, I think this movie, he captures that uh, really well. I mean, it's one, it's an incredible movie and it's an incredible performance. Um, yeah. It, it just not enough good things I could say. Um, you know, it's one of my favorite from Fincher. Who's one of my favorite directors. So yeah. Zodiac number three. Yeah. I mean, once again, just to get a little bit more meta, I, Fincher knows how insane Gyllenhaal is and how wild his process is. So he brings it out of him. There's all sorts of behind the scenes stories uh, during the filming. And since then, the conflict that they had where Fincher really drove him to the edge. I mean, Fincher's idol is one of his idols is Kubrick. He's going to give you a million takes. He wants your foot to be two inches to the right, you know. He's going to put them to their paces, through their paces, excuse me, to the extreme to find that right take. And you get that insanity of direction and you add that to some of the more extreme acting styles in mainstream Hollywood and you get fucking Robert Graysmith and this family man who's driven wild by an idea, a clue, a single puzzle piece that he like never really solves. We, like we think that he finds peace, right? We think that in that moment in the gas station when he sees Arthur Allen. He thinks he sees in his eyes who the Zodiac is. But we don't, like, see any of the peace afterwards. Like, we get a title card, like, Robert Gray Smith, like, reconnected with his family and he lives alone. He's not heard from the Zodiac since blah, 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 blah. We don't get to see that. No, there's no, like, on-screen justice or sense of zen that Robert Gray Smith gets. I think it's very intentional on Fincher's part, knowing exactly who who Gyllenhaal is. Um, it's, I think this is the second best movie that Gyllenhaal has done slight mm. spoiler to where I might be going later on. Um, it's, it's timeless. Yeah. Awesome. Ch or uh, Evan, anything that you want to touch on? I know you love this movie. No, I think you guys said it all. I love this movie so much. And honestly, the only thing that kept it off my top five was one. We've already talked about it a bit and two, it, it might be my third favorite performance in the movie. Um, yeah, which just speaks to how much I, I mean, well, we know that you and Ruffalo, Ruffalo, yeah, you and yeah. Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo, <laughs> curly-headed boys. We're yeah, we're we're tight, we're tight. Um, so that yeah, that was the only reason. But I mean, this movie, I agree with Chip. It's it's like almost far and away my second favorite movie. Um, overall that Jill and Hall has been in. But yeah, you guys said it all. I mean, this is just a freaking kick-ass movie. Awesome. Uh, so Evan, we talked about your number three. Yeah. Uh, Prisoners. So it's now to my number two. Chip's number five, uh, and Evan's number four, uh, yes. which is uh, Nightcrawler. Yeah, Nightcrawler at number two. Chip, why don't you introduce this one? Because you're kind of our resident Nightcrawler boy. I fucking love Nightcrawler. And, like, it should not be a slam on the movie that it's number five on my list. I think it's a combination of respect, like, for the impact and scope of the movies ahead of it and the performances. Mm -hmm. Because this is a, a great performance. It's absurd and dumb that it's this low on my list, but you know, here we are. It's uh, Dan Gilroy directed 
this in uh, 2014, I believe. It's this, you know, jet-fueled nighttime escapades through through Los Angeles. Like, so what I love about the performance, Gyllenhaal, like, drops all pretense, and he's, like, full sociopath from the very first scene, right? Yeah. There's not, you don't have, like, an evolution, like, in Zodiac or in Prisoners, where he's, like, driven more insane or has to go through extreme circumstances. He is, like, a steady nightmare <laughs> for the entire runtime. You imagine that, like, he's always been like this. Like, he was the terror of middle schools everywhere, running a black market for, like, snacks and textbooks. You know, he's like... So, if Los Angeles was born as a person and everything evil and good, but evil about it was stuffed into a brain, it's Gyllenhaal in this movie. Uh, like, he just dominates the streets and the corners with the people. It's, like, full of how insane news media and the job market is and like all the compromise compromises you have to face while maintaining like a grinning LinkedIn ready personality. It's, it's voyeurism, you know, it's almost like a disgusting look into how people have to behave to make it into that world. And I mean, amazing performance from uh, a young Riz Ahmed to like reflect the amoral force that Hall carries, right? He mm -hmm. has to suffer. <laughs> and ultimately like, he has to suffer a lot for this uh, this nightmare that Hall carries to everyone he meets. Yeah, I think for me, I hadn't seen this movie in a long time, and I didn't remember loving it. And I rewatched this for this podcast, and it was completely blown away uh, by the performance. That's really what it like what it comes down to. I think the, the premise of this movie is good. I think it's got something to say. I agree. I think. Um, you know, I, I really love what it what it kind of touches on about how news media preys on, you know, on fear. Um, I think it's actually really like poignant in today's environment, uh, yeah. you know, in the 2020, 2021 world that we live in. Uh, but fuck God, this is just nonstop anxiety inducing from Jill Hall. You never know what he's going to do. Like you you genuinely think because like the first scene kind of puts in your head like this guy could be a murderer you know, like he could be that unhinged but then he's always got this kind of front like you said that linkedin personality about him it, it's so uh disorienting almost to watch uh that it is i mean it's fascinating look into like the psychology of, of someone that would do something like this uh, i think there's you mentioned uh riz ahmed i i love riz ahmed i think he's really really talented um i actually just watched sound of metal um, which is, you know, his newest movie. I think that was pretty good. Um, Rene Russo is so good in this movie too. Um, you know, just kind of playing the part of anyone that will just to survive, uh, in this, you know, ever changing industry that she's in. Uh, yeah. But I mean, when it comes down to it, I, I was reading well, this is like, I thought this was interesting. We don't do this a ton, but the IMDB description is a really fascinating way to look at this movie. It says, when Louis Bloom, a con man desperate for work, muscles into the world of L.A. crime journalism, he blurs the line between observer and participant to become the star of his own story. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, like all this guy's trying to do is just feel important. Uh, it makes this movie have like almost feel even darker uh, and the lengths that people are willing to go to, to do that. But yeah, Nightcrawler is so sick. I mean, what a fucking movie, dude. What a movie. Uh, Evan, this was your number four, right? Yeah, my number four, and honestly, maybe the only reason I had it this low on my list is because 
it's clearly the most obvious leading man star performance that Gyllenhaal's probably had in his whole career outside of maybe Zodiac, which would have been if not for the other two guys who are in it, just going absolutely balls to the wall, like giving maybe their performance of their careers. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very straightforward, like one man leading the camera, taking you where you're going to go. And I think it really speaks to how great Hall is that, Chip, like you were saying, Jed, like you were saying at the very beginning of the movie, they're letting you know this dude is a borderline sociopath. Like he is a crazy person. He could kill anyone you think even early on. Um, and he would do whatever he needs to do to get by or create that sense of purpose that he seems to be looking for. But then at the same time, when he really does make that turn about an hour and 20 minutes into the movie, you're still surprised. And I think that really speaks to how great he is in the movie and how engaging he still is, even though he's um, skinny and gaunt and definitely the least good looking, in my opinion, that he has been in almost any of these movies <clears> just <throat> because of how crazy his eyes look, I guess. And, and he did get a lot thinner and his face isn't filled out. Um, he still draws you in in a way that when he really does cross the line into being a, a full-on like sociopathic criminal, you are a little bit surprised and are like, shit, I I maybe didn't think he was going to quite go this far, even though I knew yeah. he could do almost anything. So I, I think it's just a testament to – it honestly shocks me that he didn't get nominated uh, for an Academy Award for this performance. Yeah, I agree. I think this whole movie – like almost can be summed up with the interaction at the end when he kind of explains you know the whole how the whole situation happened that he was able to call in you know the the murderers and everything uh and then the detective looks at him and says you filmed your partner dying and he goes that's my job like that's like it all just leads up to that moment and you're like whoa like that is so wild but yeah i agree this i mean he basically I don't know how many minutes this movie is. I mean, let me look. You know, it's like two it's hours. An hour on the it's an hour 57. How many minutes is he not on screen? I can't think of uh, just very like, many. Off the it's top of just head. montage stuff. And I do have to <laughs> That's say what the I'm montages say in this movie suck ass. But. <laughs> <laughs> but okay much, all right well what are you talking about it's pretty much just the montage uh, some of the montages are not not very all right good. so Sorry. let's just say let's just say it's 10 minutes so yeah. he's an hour and 47 minutes of screen time and just absolutely dominates the entire time and i, I that to like you like you said it's his most obvious leading man performance but like to show that amount of like the ability to command a screen and like yeah. basically tell the story by yourself is absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, we can, we can get into to other yeah. takes about this movie. And later. he produced it too. So like he clearly took this movie on as like his baby. Yeah. Good point. Good point. All right. That was my number two chip. You're number two. Donnie Darko. Yep. Same. Nice. That was an, it was an honorable for me. Uh, you know, love another drug snuck in there instead. <laughs> hey, you Fair had enough. to stay true to you. You know, you had to, yeah. you had to give the Jet fans what they wanted. <clears throat> I don't know how many there are, but to the maybe Don the one out there. <laughs> Donnie Darko, guys. 2001. Cult fucking classic. Jake made this movie when he was 20 years old, and it might be his best performance. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, so it's... 
I don't even know how to explain this movie if you haven't seen it or aren't familiar. Um, just a twisted web of, of time travel and 80s horror, basically. I think what I love, yeah. something that, at least in this watch, yeah, in this watch, I realized that Donnie Darko, the film, hates the, right? We get a lot of 1980s nostalgia these days. That's all well and good. Even like the darker takes on that decade, you know, the Stephen King, the Stranger Things, like the 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 clown, it's the aberration, right? You have the power of 80s nostalgia and references on your side. Like that's the redeeming good. But in Donnie Darko, everything in the 80s is evil. Like mm-hmm. the infomercials and the cheesy public speakers that you remember and love, that's actually a child porn ring. Sorry, your nostalgia is flawed. Like even the music is is twisted and used for these ends. Like the first Tears for Fears needle drop at the school. It's sort of a stark contrast to what we see on the screen. And then you get that fucking Mad World cover at the end, and it's almost unrecognizable from the original song. It's it's gorgeous and haunting, but it sounds nothing like the original Tears for Fears song. It's like it's exposing a sickness underneath. I gotta say that like as a you know, I, I don't I'm not gonna call myself the music guy of the pod, like we all love music, but that fucking Mad World goes so hard like that's i would listen to that 24 7 it's just yeah. such a unique and artistic take the music on... in this movie is fucking sick yeah, yeah. it's yeah. so good even the soundtrack it's full of like this like reverb like to yeah. get you know if we're gonna get musically technical mm-hmm. there's so much like pulsing bass and then it just throws it back at you and it's like constantly echoing i think that like almost plays into the whole I... you know looping time travel that we see a little bit I think that, like, if this movie, this is going to sound like a weird thing to say, but if this movie was made today, like, Trent Reznor is scoring that shit. You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of, like, that's the vibe that I get from this movie, even though, like, obviously, him and Atticus Ross weren't scoring movies at the time this was made. That's a good point. Um, And I think they would fucking body it, too. But, like, Jake carries this movie, right? You need, like, a singularly twisted mind to keep this from being a farce. Like, any other performance, this movie is like a joke, and it probably is a failure. Jake can go a couple layers deeper into his mind to unlock this really sick but ultimately heroic character. I I don't think he's gone to that layer again. He's come close. Or he's, he's you know, Nightcrawler, he's sunk pretty low. Prisoners, he's sunk pretty low. He goes to the depths of his soul in Donnie Darko. And I think I'm very grateful for it and slightly scared that he can... He can access that. <laughs> I love that you can just like continue to debate about what this film means. Um, it really doesn't get the credit of like like Christopher Nolan made Memento the year before Lost came onto the scene. That's when we kind of had this new version, this new look at time travel. It doesn't really get the credit. I don't think that these other uh, shows and movies got. Richard Kelly directed Donnie Darko. His career has obviously got not gone where Christopher Nolan or fucking J.J. Abrams' careers have gone. I don't know if I want to live in the world where Richard Kelly has Chris Nolan's career, but it's interesting to uh, to think about. I don't know if you guys have any takes on that one. No, I agree. After watching this movie, I'm just like, where have the last like seven Richard Kelly movies gone? I, I just want to see them. Like, I want to see the ideas. If they were shit, that's that's fine. I just want to see what he could do because this movie, for a first uh, like screenplay, first directing, um, 
uh, outing is really unbelievable and incredibly well thought out. Yeah, there are certain parts of the plot that could probably be cleaned up if he'd made five movies before this, but it honestly adds to the mystique of the movie that there are certain plot lines that almost don't end and just kind of float out there in the ether and you just kind of have to accept them for what they are. Um, but Chip, I could not have agreed more that this movie so easily could have been really bad and Jake Gyllenhaal and the choices that he makes bring it around completely. Um, and just a couple points on that one, he has to do everything from the angsty teenage stuff to intense therapy scenes to hi-fi horror or sci-fi horror scenes with a deranged demonic bunny suit. And it's, he pulls them all off with, like, intense gravity. Um, and then the other thing, like I mentioned, making choices. It's not just that he's a paranoid schizophrenic or whatever he's supposed to be in the movie. He, he clearly makes a million choices as a 19-year-old about how he's going to play Donnie Darko. He chooses how he's going to walk. Uh, the aloofness that he's going to have when he's faced with almost any question or comment from anyone in his life. Um, the looks that he gives people. I even read like the look that he gives every time that the bunny is on screen where his chin is kind of down and his eyes are looking up was just something that he tried the first time that he was looking at the person in the bunny suit on set, which is just something that's crazy to think about because this movie has gained such a, a cult following and people kind of recognize that look is the defining feature of the movie almost that's the still shot that everyone thinks of and it's just something that 19 year old jake gyllenhaal kind of had in his bones and just tried in front of a camera so i think this movie really does just speak to the just ultimate watchability and charisma that jake gyllenhaal brings anytime he's on a set yeah you guys i mean you guys knocked out of the park uh I don't know. I felt really, really bad, like not having this one on the top five. But listen, I have to be true to my I have to speak yeah. my truth and love and other drugs is my fucking truth, people. Yeah. But yeah, this would have been number six. This would have been number six. love around. Yeah, it would have been number six for me. Um, awesome. Great pick. I'm so this happy that you guys. Great. Donnie Darker. Yeah. Is just yeah. A great movie. To be honest, like the thing that has spoke to like that really like. I understand after watching all these movies, you know, over the last week is he's in a lot of just really good stuff. You know what I mean? Like whether like his performances are always great, but he's just in good projects like yeah. all the time. And there's something to be said about making decisions and, and, you know, making the right choices in an actor's career. Um, but yeah, he, like you said, Chip, he's got a high, he's got a high batting average and a high slugging percentage. So good for him. Uh, for the second time in 2021, do we all have the same number one movie? I think so. We might. Should we say it on at, on three? Let's do it. Three, two, one. Brokeback Broke Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. Let's do this it. This is an achievement Jeez. in fucking cinema. It's like not. It wasn't even close for me. No. It was this and everything else. It wasn't close. I mean, Brokeback Brokeback Mountain is one of the most tragic love stories I think that's ever been told on the screen. Um, you know, Jill and Hall's performance is incredible. Uh, Heath Ledger's performance is absolutely incredible. Um, I will say my love for this movie, I think does like, there is a bit of nostalgia for like after, you know, Heath Ledger passing away 
like, you know, this is one of these great performances we have to latch on to. Um, but I, I, that doesn't diminish anything from the movie. But, you know, for those of you that don't know, um, you probably, even if you haven't seen it, you know it as the gay cowboy movie. But that does it entirely a disservice. Um, I think what Ang Lee does in this movie so well is that this movie doesn't feel, um, you know, think about it, it's 2005. It's a completely different time and, and period for people of the LGBTQ community. It doesn't feel like she's trying to make an LGBTQ movie. It feels like she's making a love story or sorry, making a love story that is, you know, just about two two men. And I think that's the that's the difference. And by the way, I'm sorry I said she in, instead of instead of he. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just about it's about two men. And I, I think that's what's so timeless about this movie is the story itself you know, aside from the characters is, is just so timeless. Um, it's heartbreaking. It's devastating. Uh, it, it's a slow burn in, in many ways. Uh, I, I don't have enough good things to say about this movie and about their performances. Um, and we can circle back maybe like after you guys get a chance to talk on, on some of the favorite moments, but like the best acting, I think Joan Hall has done in his entire career. Um, you know, is that is that kind of final scene with them together when he just says, damn it, I I wish I could quit you. It's heartbreaking. I, I've never watched this movie. And he said that line and I haven't been in full tears. Um, yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous love story. Gorgeous movie. Um, great performances, you know, by Jill and Hall, by Heath Ledger, Michelle Williams um, and Hathaway. I think those are actually all, those two performances and Hathaway and Michelle Williams are really key to kind of the tragedy of, of the movie. Um, but yeah, I, we get, we'll, I'll talk about it more after Evan. Uh, what do you love about this movie? Um, I agree in that. I think it's almost far and away for me one, because it, it really is far and away my favorite movie that he's been in. And I think the best movie and the, two lead performances are just so integral to making this movie amazing. Like we were talking about with portrait of a lady on fire. When you have a movie that's that centered around a romance and two people coming together and how that affects them personally and them as a couple, I think the two leads just, they have to carry it on their back a hundred percent. Obviously there's gorgeous scenery. There's beautiful music that's added in. But if you don't have two awesome lead performances, this is just kind of another good dramatic movie uh, instead of what I consider to be like a transcendent movie. And Heath Ledger is obviously amazing in this movie. These are two of my favorite, probably like 20 performances um, of the since 2000 or whatever, the last 20 years. Mm. Um, but Heath Ledger's is much more flashy. Heath Ledger kind of gets to be the bull in the China shop and uh, is very angry and really expresses a lot of his emotion outwardly that's obvious to us as an audience. But Jake Gyllenhaal, um, as much as we've talked about him kind of bouncing off the walls, in this performance, he's much more reserved. And he really allows the space or allows Heath Ledger to have the space to do what he's doing in the movie and for how, for it to still be a coherent story and to, for it to be two completely different people kind of moving in tandem. Um like you said, the the we could have had a good life. Now all we got is Brokeback Mountain leading to the I wish I knew how to quit you is easily the favorite, my favorite scene uh, of Jake Gyllenhaal's um, entire career. Also, the scene 
uh, when he first goes to see Heath Ledger's character after Heath Ledger gets divorced and basically gets turned away. Mm. Um, I mean, this movie's just a hundred percent heartbreaking. It's the most heartbreaking movie I've probably ever seen. And that would not be the case without the two leads. I, I just, this movie, he, it is so good and he is so good in it. The accent's great. Uh, I love kind of the fun stuff that he's doing too. Yeah, it's sad at points, but like when he's singing in the car and stuff and his little little twang, mm. it's so good. Um, and the last thing is just there's a lot of physical acting in this movie. For anyone who hasn't seen this, there is a lot of scenes where Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal are very physical with each other, both um in like a violent sort of way and a loving sort of way and uh, a lot of the movie is about how those you know emotions interact and how they cope with that um and it's just it seems really hard i mean it's one thing to do these dramatic scenes where you're talking a lot it's another to have to do these dramatic scenes that end in these physical kind of confrontations both uh you know involving violence and love so this this performance is just uh I mean, Jack Twist, he's a 10 out of 10 character. Hmm. Jack fucking Twist, man. So look at the stage of Jake's career, right? He's on the rise. Donnie Darko, it, it was a cult classic, so it took time, but it was still well known that, hey, this 20-year-old, look out for him. He's, what, 23, 24 years old when he makes this? He has Day After Tomorrow already released. I think he has Jarhead lined up and ready to go. He did not have to take this role. He mm-hmm. did not have to take mm-hmm. the infamous, like we said, quote-unquote, gay cowboy movie. This screenplay was maybe the most infamous story in Hollywood that hadn't been made yet. And he took this massive risk as a hot young star, and that's the beauty of Jake Gyllenhaal. He's going to give you a fucking show, and he does in this movie. Honestly, he might be outacted by Heath Ledger. I don't – I mean, it's this is Heath Ledger's movie. I think it's his story, and that's okay. Yeah. And I think especially because of his passing, it probably always will be Heath's film and – just to, if I can talk about him for a second, he brings this energy to the screen. He's so combustible. Yeah. He's in a fight with his sexual urges the whole time. I think all the time about the scene at the 4th of July picnic where Heath is about to fight those bikers who are making these, you know, horrible, crude remarks with his daughters around. And he's got his fists raised and the fireworks are shooting off behind him. It's beautiful. The metaphor is very plain and obvious. Um, but Gyllenhaal brings like the passion out of him in a more pure way it's still Mm. painful it can still be a struggle but jake just gets this raw love from heath in a way that no one else could like love can be a war we know that and you beat that war with understanding and with a mutual trust no one understood heath like jake and that was the scariest thing in the world for heath and you believe you believe that they have that trust and that love yeah, I mean, I th- I agree with you. I think in many ways, like, it, it is Heath's movie, right? And mostly, like, if you watch it, he gets most of the screen time once they break away from that initial, um, you know, interaction on, on Brokeback Mountain. And they kind of go about their normal lives. Um, and it, the, really, the movie really becomes about, you know, Jack Twist's character, you know, going, going to see Ennis Del Mar and, like, being the one that's willing always to go to him. Always to make the effort and always to get shut down. And the way Gyllenhaal plays that, like you said, Evan, is so much more subtle than the way Heath plays. Because in many ways, Jack Twist is so much more comfortable with what he is. He just wants to be that person with somebody else that he loves. 
right? And and Ennis is the one that's struggling with his sexuality, right? And his love, you know, for this this man. Uh, and so the way he's able to do that subtly and then build up to these big moments just feels so true to the character. And yeah, like I said, I think it's far and away. It's the best movie he's he's ever been in. This movie will trend transcend I, I love the word that you use transcendent I, it, it, this will transcend the 2000s everything because it's such a landmark film for so many reasons you know that we can you know either get into or not get into but at its heart it's just it's genuinely one of the best movies of the 21st century i think i mean it this is a story that i think was probably hard to tell because you're target audience is probably the like for like the character demographic is probably the people that don't want to see this story like in the least uh and they absolutely knock it out of the fucking park uh i yeah i mean it's a i am getting emotional like talking about it because like what an incredible feat this was in 2005 to release this movie to such critical acclaim to you know such commercial success yeah it is it's beyond it's beyond words so did jake gyllenhaal get nominated for an oscar in this or was this yes yes Yes. so this This is his his only nomination nomination. which is also batshit insane the academy should be defunded and abolished um but uh so angley defund the academy They're on they're on okay terms right now. You know, we had we came off a good year. The yep. 2020 Oscars were pretty hey, good. Don't we're, let we're fucking Parasite sleep. do not let Parasite let us lull you to sleep. That's what That's they want. That's what I'm saying. I know. I'm worried. I'm worried they're going to give Roma should have won the year before. Don't exactly. don't you dare don't you dare let that lull they you are to sleep. On thin ice. Thin ice <laughs> Academy Awards. You heard it here first. You've been put, you've on, been put on notice. Yeah. Put on alert. <laughs> Green Book so, Two, 2021. <laughs> oh no! Green Book Two is going to be about the Capitol riots. Oh. Oh no! God. All right. Okay. I, I hate All right. saying that. So Angley, he wins. Angley wins Best Director. It's nominated for Best Picture. Doesn't win. Loses to Crash, which is a war crime. Um, <laughs> Heath is also nominated. I think it wins Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Score, which yeah. is well-deserved. The screenplay is gorgeous. The uh, score is amazing. It's like these fucking like, hymns. Like, I was trying to think of a good word to describe them because they're almost like spiritual. even And they're so melancholic, too, even from the very beginning. like This is a doomed story. So the strings and the, the sounds of nature kind of build into that a little bit. Um, the pedal steel in this movie, the pedal steel and just the acoustic guitar and the pedal steel, I could listen to that for my entire life and never be dissatisfied. It is so beautiful and like heart wrenching. Um, and I, I agree, Chip, it sets the mood from like the first chord that gets strummed in the movie. Um, yeah. You know, it's it makes the, yeah, you know, it's doomed and. Uh, yeah, that is going to be devastating. It makes Brokeback feel like a paradise, but like the saddest paradise imaginable. Because that is where they have their love, but that love is is not going to last because of who they are. So, 
the the saddest heaven you know you can imagine. That's actually a really beautiful like me- <laughs> it's a really beautiful metaphor. Obviously, you know, and spoiler alert because that's where you know Jack Twist wants his ashes to be spread. Right, he's on Brokeback Mountain, yeah. um, and it, it's just the saddest. It's the single saddest heaven ever, and. Herded some sheep there in the summer of 63. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> God, I just don't even know what else to say about this movie. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and like, please go watch it and then watch it again and then watch it yeah. another time. Like this is an important movie. Like I, I think I would go so far as to say, and this is, you know, maybe hot take corner material. This like should be up there in like cinematic history with movies, you know, with movies like Casablanca, right? You know, movies of like of that stature that are these tentpole romance films. Like this is so important to the history of cinema and I think just you know in, in the like world of LGDP, <laughs> LGBTQ community, like this is a this is an important film. Yeah. So this is going to go down. This is going to go down in history. And uh, I wish that why aren't uh, like straight, straight love movies be better. You know, the gays are beating you to it. There's some they're making such such better love movies than you guys. Like, what are we doing? Maybe just straight love stories suck. That's yeah. They all suck. (laughs) They all suck compared to Brokeback and Portrait. Like really on their level. I'm 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 actually really excited for uh, Supernova. Stanley Tucci. Colin Firth. That's right. Oh my God, that wow. trailer! That trailer had me ready to cry. So I can't even imagine what the movie's gonna do. Yeah, and what's the one coming out with Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan? I don't know, but more period. Oh pieces, man, please. I like yeah. period pieces with Saoirse Ronan. I was just about to say, add some period to it. We... Yeah, um, it's it's uh yeah. I mean, I I agree. I, there's something. I think there's just a a level of like devastation to these stories, and that's unfortunate. Um that makes them so much hit so much harder. Um, yeah. And, and, and that, like I said, that it, that sucks, but God, it, it creates some beautiful, beautiful, uh, art. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Number All one, right. across the board. number one. Yeah. God, what a movie. All right, guys, let's, uh, run through our top fives, uh, for Jake Gyllenhaal really quick. Uh, at number five, I had Love and Other Drugs. At number four, I had Prisoners. Number three, I had Zodiac. Number two, I had Nightcrawler. Number one, I had Brokeback Mountain. Chip, what about you? I had five Nightcrawler. Again, I say that and it just sounds wrong. <laughs> I had four Prisoners. I had three Zodiac, two Donnie Darko, one Brokeback Mountain. All right. And I had five Okja, four Nightcrawler, three Prisoners two Donnie Darko, and one Brokeback Mountain. Uh, did any honorables that weren't on each other's list? Because all my honorables were on your guys' lists. Um, Enemy, I had, obviously, as an, as an honorable. Chip mentioned that earlier. And then End of Watch. I actually mm. like End of Watch a lot. Um, and I, I think Michael Pena is probably the performance that I actually remember the most from that movie. But um, that performance is good. Doesn't play as well in 20. 20- 21 for sure no doubt about that but um yeah buzz cut jake buzz cut jake he does look really good with a buzz cut um honorable's enemy of course uh 
Velvet Buzzsaw is not a good movie, but I like Jake's performance. <laughs> and then uh, Wildlife, Paul Dano's first, yeah, uh, his true. directorial debut, super devastating. Uh, and it's it's <laughs> if you want to get really sad, watch it with Marriage Story. Two great, uh, two great <laughs> tales of divorce. Wait, I thought Marriage Story was about a loving marriage. They should have called it Divorce Story. If it's about a divorce, am I right, guys? Oof, I wonder if y'all ever thought of that. Honestly, Jesus. Shout out to the marketplace of takes known as Twitter. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. The marketplace. That was great. <laughs> great uh, Jake Gyllenhaal top five. Uh, coming up next, we've got Hot Take Corner. Our boy Chip is in the hot seat. So cue that fire. Okay, welcome to Hot Take Corner, where we say things that get us in trouble. Uh, like the thing I said in the first episode, that Jaws is only okay. And I've never lived down. Uh, this week in the hot seat, we've got our boy, JT Chipman. Chip, like what is say, your hot Hall take? First of all, I've never fully rebuked you for that Jaws take, and I just want to go on record now as saying that you are a sick man, and I hope you seek help. Thank you. We're gonna we're gonna do a Jaws therapy episode where we watch Jaws, and I like am basically shocked when I like give the wrong answers to what I liked and disliked about it. Of course. Yeah, we'll do a single movie pod, and Jed will give it like a C plus. <laughs> yeah, it was all right. <laughs> Didn't like the effects. Yeah. <laughs> My hot take is so I'm gonna I'm gonna phrase this. In maybe a, the mo- more accurate way. Nightcrawler is the movie that I want to drive to be. Right? I think Nightcrawler is the better. I wish we were recording so you guys could see Evan's face. He just like, adjust, he, like adjusted his glasses in disappointment. Like he's a, he's a father and I just brought home a bad report card. No, see what I, what I viewed that as is he was like, okay, this shit. All right, it's time. It's time to go to war. These are takes that have been brewing in the flicking and screaming group chat uh, for a while. So, Chip, let me just get this straight. Your take is that Nightcrawler is a better film, far better, than Drive. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's absolutely correct. Um, So, Nightcrawler asks so much more of its characters, and those characters deliver. Right, we see Jet give one of his best performances. We see Riz Ahmed does a, a, an amazing job having to to balance off of that. I forget who plays the uh, news station kind of anchor. Renee Russo. Renee Russo, yes, she's running the show. She's desperate. The way that she turns to Jill and Hall in her time of need, it makes sense. It works. These characters kind of push each other. Drive just lets its characters kind of roam around. There's no, there's no purpose. There's no, it, there's a little bit of urgency, but not enough. There, it, it doesn't do, in my opinion, it doesn't do its acting talent justice, and it doesn't do Los Angeles crime justice, right? It's just like, it's just vibes, and vibes are cool. Listen, I like movies that are just vibes and just an aesthetic, right? That's fine. It's a good time that the music is like cool and hip, right? You're wasting Ryan Gosling. You're wasting 
Brian Cranston. Like, <laughs> you're fucking wasting Carrie Mulligan. Go watch Wildlife with Jake Gyllenhaal and Carrie Mulligan, and you can see what Carrie Mulligan can do with an actor and a script that works so much better, right? Drive literally like, so it like floats above Los Angeles, right? And I mean that literally, you know, it, admittedly, those beautiful helicopter shots in the opening credits, that shit is fantastic. It looks great. It floats so high above and thinks so much of itself, right? Nightcrawler, it asks you to dig into the Los Angeles grime. It says, hey, get under the blanket. It's going to get fucking nasty. That's what I wanted from Drive. That's what I wanted from fucking Ryan Gosling and what he is capable of doing. And he's wasted in that movie, just staring into the fucking sunset. He looks cool. He looks the scorpion jacket and all that. He's got a good look, but it's just a good look. It's it's an empty look. It's a false image. Evan, your Evan, your counter. This this episode is not made for the purpose of me having to rebut Drive against Nightcrawler. For the for anyone who does not know, and I know we talk about JT Chipman's uh, Twitter account a lot on this podcast, but this is a hot take that he said on this episode, sure. But he's also tweeted this every month on the month for like a year and a half. So this is not this is not a brand new take from our good friendship. I, I we also get this in the group text maybe every three weeks or so. Uh, either Chip or Jed trying to instigate will bring up uh, Chip's take about a uh, Nightcrawler being so much better than Drive. Look, in Nightcrawler, a character literally says, "If it bleeds, it leads." Nightcrawler is going to tell you exactly what it's trying to tell you. Drive is going to try to let you figure it out a little bit. And I can appreciate that Drive is letting us try to figure it out a little bit. As far as getting grimy and under the blanket of L.A. or whatever Chip just said. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know beats what a man was. to death in an elevator in Drive. That's so, one scene. Yeah, but he gets, But the, the idea that he's only sitting there looking at sunsets, he literally beats a man with his with his bare hands and a hammer in an elevator to death. Like this movie can get dirty. I also do love the cast. I mean, I know you kind of, you kind of blah, blah, the cast, Carrie Mulligan, Ron Perlman, Christina Hendricks, Brian Cranston, Oscar Isaac, Albert Brooks. The cast is pretty bonkers. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into it. Cause I'm on, I'm on a different side of this than chip. After I go on for three minutes, I say, I'm not going to get into it, but chip, <laughs> Needs to to denigrate Drive to make his point. My point is, they're both good movies. I think mm. Drive is better significantly, but I think they're both really good. Um, and and that's just all there is to it. So while I respect this take from Chip, I also have dreams respect, about having this argument re- because of how often it comes up. Respectfully disagree. Have a very bipartisan view, Evan. Uh, You're really in your uh, Joe Manchin bag, Evan. How is that the Joe Manchin bag? I'm actually taking a stand here. You're not, you you were trying to play both sides. You say, oh well, you know they're both. I think they're both good movies, and I don't need to denigrate one or the other. You know why can't we reach across the aisle? Listen, yeah, well, I'm not listen. talking about Medicare for all here, like giving people health care. I'm talking about two movies and whether I enjoyed watching Nightcrawler this week. I'm not going to hop on here and just be like Nightcrawler is sucks. Listen, as the I, we got to come back to those montages at some point. They are not good. I'm sorry. As the true king of recency bias, I'm going to agree with Chip here. Nightcrawler fucks. It fucks so hard. This movie is so 
Sorry, I forgot my New Year's resolution was to be nicer to Evan. Evan, I agree. They're both no, great movies. The hot take is not that Nightcrawler does not fuck. That's not No, no, I, I, I know. I know. Is that it shits on Drive. So if you want to say, I just watched both of them, and yeah, Drive is terrible, and Nightcrawler is doing everything that Drive thinks it's doing, then that makes sense. That's what I said. I, I, I dug on myself. I'm the king of recency bias. Like, I'm sure if I watched Drive tomorrow, I'd be like, ooh. Mm, but I get but you're Evan's saying that's what your take is is from what you remember of Drive after rewatching Nightcrawler. Yeah, Nightcrawler, but I think the only way to, to really do this is to hammer out a versus. But we're gonna put this like six months out. Yeah, so we don't. I'll try. Like, I will. I will do my best to keep this to myself for the next six months. I will commit myself it, to some rewatches and some and some research and some meditation and self reflection, and we can come back. I will not say the word Drive to you for six months. He, you know what? First of all, that's false. <laughs> I already know that's false. Second of all, I, what I don't, what part of what makes this like a little bit of a straw man argument is Chip, especially when he hops on Twitter or something and starts talking about Drive. He talks about it like it's Vertigo. Like people think it's the best movie of all time. And he's like, look, people think Drive is the best movie of all time. I'm telling you, Nightcrawler is better. It's like people are just like, yeah, Drive was one of the like, like, 10 best movies of the year it came out it's pretty good you know and he's yeah. just like no yeah, i i that, i don't know i kind of agree drive is their favorite movie chip no i agree with that take evan he does like he does denigrate drive by like elevating its status in this like pseudo population's mind right he i will agree with that is what he presents on twitter <laughs> now look at me being bipartisan chip are late on us yeah I think uh, negotiations are going to come to an end now, and uh, you know we're gonna we are we are going to adjourn Congress. Yeah. We are going to take recess. a two month you know recess as Congress is apt to do, and yeah. uh, you know we will come back and nothing will change. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. I'm going to go to a town hall, a drive town hall, and have everyone tell me what great it is, and then we can come back. Six months. I, oh. I will. I will personally come on this podcast the next time Chip mentions Drive. I will come on to this podcast. And, You're and a co-host. Of course you'll be on it the next time he but mentions I'll Drive note, on the podcast. I'll make a note of it. Right. Oh, but next I, time I, he I mentions it in the group message or on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I, I, I was confused. So I thought you were saying, I thought you were saying, I will come on the podcast the next time he yeah. mentions it on the podcast. I'm like, well, of course you will. Yeah. No, you'll right. be on the podcast. As no, well. what I'm saying is like I'm not going to come back when we do the verses in six months. I'm not going to be like, oh, by the way, Chip, Chip did definitely did bring this up, you know, and turn it into a he said, she said, you know, who caused the insurrection sort of situation. I'm coming on the podcast <laughs> that week, and I'm like, our friend and co-host JT Chipman mentioned Drive to me three days ago. That's what I. So that, you are that's the promise that I'm making. So you are blaming both Pelosi and Holly for the insurrection. <laughs> Jesus. All right, are Chip, save it for your people? fucking Twitter, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> save the politics for your fucking Twitter. If you want, if you want more political takes, go follow him at Chip Off Your Block. Like it's a wild world out there, people. I wish I could have a Twitter that's only that I only follow Chip, just so I could really keep tabs on what he's talking about at all times. Everything from Kobe to Pelosi to fucking. Random screenshots of of movies. It's a wild west out there. I think we need to end this episode. Right. It's it's gone too far. Probably. <laughs> All right, good hot guys. Take. Well, got going. Good that hot was take. a lot of fun. 
That was a great hot take because hot takes are meant to to cause a little bit of uh, a little bit of controversy. Yeah. Uh, so I love it. I love it. Uh, but that was our Jake Gyllenhaal episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, if you haven't already, uh, please go follow us on Twitter at Flick and Scream. Uh, please follow us on Instagram. Is it at Flicking and Screaming on Instagram, Evan? Uh, yes, at Flicking and Screaming. At Flicking and Screaming. Uh, you can find our personal accounts attached uh, to all of uh, the show's accounts. And, you know, come join us. Talk about these movies. Tell us why we were wrong. Tell us what your favorite Gyllenhaal performance was. That's our favorite part of this is when we release these episodes and we uh, we get to interact with all you guys uh, out on social media. Um, so thank you guys so much. Uh, if you haven't already, please also like, uh, rate, uh, subscribe. That helped more people find the show uh, and grow the community that we've been building uh, slowly but surely. So uh, next week, we've got a really fun one. Um, you know, in light of uh, Valentine's Day coming up, we're gonna cover a rom com. We're entering into Jed territory here. We're gonna we're gonna tie Chip to his chair. Me and Evan are gonna get deep into the bag. We're going more crazy, stupid love. So that should be really uh, a really fun episode. We're gonna do a deep dive into that one. Um, yeah. Any final parting thoughts, guys? No. I'm glad we got to talk about Jake, real movie star, real deal movie star. Awesome. Guys, for Flicking and Screaming, I'm Jed Sprague, Evan Fagundis, JT Chipman. We'll see you guys next time. See y'all. See you guys.